live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Of NFL action. So let me lay it out for you. Hour number one belongs to you clones. Don't jack it up. Don't do that. Don't do that. 1-800-636-8686. I have two interviews. They do not begin until the second hour. I've got plenty to do in hour number three on a Friday. You know this. Use the first hour. Talk about anything you want. Preview the matchups for the weekend. Get up in here. 1-800-636-8686. If you prefer to hit me on social media, do that. Follow me on Twitter at Jim Rome. Email me at Rome, R-O-M-E at haveatake.com. If you don't mind, just stop on by my Instagram feed too. That'd be all right. That'd be aight. Nice to have you here. All right, so the first hour is wide open. Coming up in hour number two, I've got a conversation with the head basketball coach at Loyola Marymount. LMU shocked the world. They went to Gonzaga. They beat the sixth-ranked Zags, but the Zags had the longest home winning streak up until that point. So that was a big, big win for that program, a storied program. So we're going to actually talk some LMU basketball with their head coach, Stan Johnson. Great game last night. Also in hour number two, an NFL Network reporter, Jane Slater. Jane is a pro. She's all over the Cowboys. And we'll get her thoughts on that matchup and the weekend as well. Friday means we have Alvi's week that was and a whole lot more. What do you say, though, you step up, you be proactive, you get in here, and you hit me up on the phones? I would love a phone call or two to set this thing off. Hello! All right, let me start first with Frisco fan. Frisco fan. Hey, shout out to Mike in San Diego. Hey, Frisco hey, fan. Hey, Frisco hey. fan. I have not forgotten about Pass you. the duchy from the left-hand side. Yo, Mike. Shout out, Mike. I miss you, bro. I wish that some of our newer listeners and television viewers had a chance to experience you, Michael. Mike from San Diego was a legend. Hey, Frisco fan. I have not forgotten about you or your Niners. All right, so I'll admit, we did not talk a lot this week about that beatdown that San Francisco laid on the gum assassins Seahawks. There I am. Hello. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network. No, I can see me, but you can't see me. Hi. Hi, but, but you still win, but I still won. Anyway, I've not spent a lot of time talking about how the Niners beat down. We already did, apparently. We have not talked about the Niners laying that beat down on the gum assassins Seahawks. Because honestly, there was not that much to say about that beat down of the gum assassins Seahawks. However, there is a ton to say about this week's game with Jerris Cowboys. Because this week's game could not be more massive. You don't even have to be a so-called Frisco fan. A Frisco fan. Again, Mike. R.I.P., brother. You don't even have to be a Frisco fan to be hyped for this game. If you're not hyped on the game, or if you are, then you're hyped for this game. Make sense? If you're not hyped on this game, and I don't care who you pull for, if you're not hyped on this game, that's a you problem. Because you should be. Everybody else is. Let's take the Niners. The Niners are rolling. They're on an absurd heater. They've ripped off 11 straight dubs. Even though they made a change of quarterback in the middle of that run. To Big Clock Brock. A.K.A. one of the best stories ever in the NFL. Thing is... It's not just a great story anymore. It's not just wild that Mr. Irrelevant can actually play. It's more like it's wild that Mr. Irrelevant can play well enough to win a Super Bowl. Because make no mistake, Brock Purdy could straight up win the Niners a Super Bowl. And hear what I'm saying. I'm not talking about gravy training the league's number one defense to a ring. I'm not talking about this guy game managing them to a ring. I'm talking about Big Brock being a big difference maker. Using his athleticism and his poise 
in that enormous brass set to put the Niners over the top. They're not winning despite of him. They're not winning in spite of him. They're winning in part because of him. Now, as much as I love Big Brock, and I love Big Brock, I will say this. We have not seen him on a stage like this. He's never been on a stage like this one. Up until now, the moment has not been too big for him, but he's never had a moment this big before. Even he knows it. He knows exactly how it is. I mean, obviously in the 90s and stuff, they went at it. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of Super Bowls between the two organizations. And so to be a part of it, I'm very thankful. It's pretty cool. It's like, man, you've seen all those highlights and stuff from the 90s and stuff. And and now you fast forward to 2023 and here we are, you know, same two teams going at it, fighting for the same thing, which is pretty cool. And um, I just look at it like, you know, we just want to win. We want to do our part and all the other stuff will fall into place. It's not like, man, this is going to be some kind of, you know, Netflix documentary or anything like that. I'm not trying to make it bigger like than that, but um, very thankful to be a part of it. It's incredible that a guy like that gets that. I mean, dude, this guy gets it. This is why I like this guy so much. It's one thing to get it and then not be able to execute, but he gets it and he executes. Like I could not be more impressed with the way this dude handles himself both on and off the field. He was the last player taken in the draft. You know, compare that, for instance, with a guy who was taken second in the draft. Zach Wilson could not be further from getting it. This was the last player taken in the draft, and the guy absolutely gets it. Really, it's pretty amazing. The juxtaposition between those two guys is incredible. Anyway, big clock Brock. If he wins this game, there may actually be a Netflix doc about it. And if he leads this team to a Lombardi, there absolutely will be a Netflix doc about it. That's how incredible the story is. He might be trying to downplay it, and I love the way he's handling himself, and I love what I'm hearing, but we know better. He's handling it exactly the way you should, but that doesn't mean that it's not still bat bleep crazy, that he's got them where they are. And you know what? Yeah, of course. Credit to Kyle Shanahan and him coaching him up and the system. But don't tell me it's only about the system. This is a different dude now. Now, luckily for him, he does have a great system. Luckily for him, he's got lots of weapons all around him. He's got a lot of help. Obviously, Frisco is stacked. They've looked like the best team in the NFL for weeks. They've had the number one scoring defense. They've had the number one yardage defense in the league. And they do have weapons Four days, and he does an amazing job of making use of all those weapons. They have Debo, they have George Kittle, they have big breakout Brandon Ayuk, and they've got a dude that came in in one of the best midseason trades ever. Ever. What an amazing deal that was, right? The Niners are 11 and 0 with Christian McCaffrey in the starting lineup. Yes, they did lose to the Chiefs about 48 hours after he got to town in a game that he did not start, and he only touched it 10 times. But ever since then, CMC has gotten his starts and his touches, and this dude has been unstoppable, not only catching it out of the backfield, but running it, and so is the entire offense. The other extremely compelling thing about Christian McCaffrey is that he's been waiting his entire football life to play in a game this big. Remember, he only played in 10 games total the last two years. He's already played more games as a Niner than he had in the previous two years combined and never in a bigger game than this. What I'm saying to you is CMC is going to be fired up for this one. Oh, there I am. Hey, now. Welcome to CBS Sports Network. Here we are. Here the bleep we are. So I'm saying that CMC has never played in a bigger game and he'll be fired up. But... So will Jarrah's Cowboys, because as Jarrah already explained in a way that only Jarrah could or would, the Cowboys are like a hunting dog, a hunting dog that's tasted some blood. They do put the face of a hunting dog when you uh, finally make your, uh, find what you're hunting. They rub that dog's face in that blood and make sure that uh, he remembers what it uh, tasted like and what it was like and boy that enhances his instincts for the rest of his time 
and that's exactly uh, the way the Cowboys, I'm sure, will take this victory in Tampa. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover? Discover will help routinely remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. think I need some of that. I think I need some of that. Especially coming off a long week. I need to find me some hunting blood and rub my grill on it. Anyway, two weeks ago, Jarrah had them all sucking on a loss to the commanders. This week, he's rubbing everybody's face in blood. Thing is, two weeks ago, I had some significant doubts about Jarrah's boys. Dak Prescott looked like a mess. Zeke Elliott looked washed. Tony Pollard looked dinged. Even the defense that had been so dominant looked like it was missing its juice. I mean, I had some serious concerns. I actually took geriatric bacon 45 and the two and a half. But then Dallas goes in there and they put that curb stomping on that geriatric goat and the Bucks. And now suddenly the vibes have been flipped completely. Cowboy player and Cowboy fan could not be more hyped nor confident coming into this week. Well, at least Cowboy player not named America's kicker and my new favorite player, Brett Maher. The dude battling an epic and sudden bout of the yips. Or as Jarrah would say, the dude who, quote, stuck his finger in the wrong hole. Stuck your finger in the wrong hole. My dude. You're an amazing American success story, Jarrah, but your obsession with holes. I get that you probably drilled a bunch of holes, found a bunch of oil, got really rich. I understand that initial obsession with holes in the ground. However, however, his obsession with holes aside, glory old days. Right. There at least was some good news yesterday on the Maher front. Because according to reports from Cowboys practice, Money Maher is back. He was 6 of 6 in gusty winds in the kicking portion of practice. So that's all good, right? Right? Yeah, that means nothing. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. That means less than nothing. I'm not saying that he won't be all right. I'm just saying the fact that he was all right in practice means nothing. The yips are not about practice. Yep, yep, yep. Yip, yip, yip. Yep, yep, yep. Yip, yip, yip. Yep, yep, yep. What up, Cheryl? Yip, yip, yip. Yep, yep, yep. You you know Ronald McDonald? I know about Ronald McDonald. Do you know about Grimace? Yep, yep, yep. Grimace is a big, fat, purple man. You know about the Hamburglar? Yep, yep, yep. You know about that... That place with all those those balls that kids can jump into? That yep, doesn't yep, seem yep. very sanitary. Yep, yep, yep. A- anyway, the yips. The yips. Yip, yip, yip. Yep, yep, yep. The yips are not about practice. I really don't care how this guy did in practice. And again, I'm not saying he won't be fine. I'm just saying what he did in practice doesn't mean anything. No, no, no. The yips are about the bright no, lights. No, no. The yips are about the big moments. And listen, I believe in Money Maher. Hell, I'm Money Maher's biggest fan, no matter what you might hear from Dak. But we're not going to know, and we're not going to find out until we see this guy do it under the lights, on the big stage. And we're also going to find out whether or not these alleged Super Bowl contenders are that, or if they're actual pretenders. If I'm being really honest, I still have some doubt. I'm still not sure exactly who they are. Which Cowboy team shows up? Like, I know exactly who Frisco is. Hey, Frisco fan. I know who Dallas is supposed to be, but they don't show up like that every week. And let's face it, Tampa Bay was ass. But Dallas is hearing the doubts. You know, some of these guys say, I don't hear anything. Nothing outside these four walls matters at all. You know who's not saying that? My guy, Micah Parsons. Micah is hearing it. Micah is fueling up on it. Micah is feeding on and tapping into the doubts. I know 
but I study boxers. And I know when you're getting ready to go into a fight, you need to prepare as if it's going to go 12 rounds and it's going to go 12 rounds. You know, I, I watch Ali, the greatest video, almost every week. And he talks about it and how he was ready. And how he, this guy was just too big. He was too strong. And not, Ali was going to get knocked out. And that's what everybody's saying. Right, we hear it. Everybody, no way the Cowboys going to win. No way. I, honestly, I think you should feed into, you should love that stuff. Like, when no one believes in you, that's the best feeling. Like, not when everyone believes you and that Kool-Aid's up and everyone's smiling and they're like, they can't lose, I, they're too good. You don't want that feeling because then it's like, what if I don't win? When you're already at the bottom, you can only go up, you know? So I really like to be an underdog and that feeling. It's a great story always to tell. Preach, dude. Preach. Mike is the best. He's so great. You want them telling you you can't do it. What you don't want is that Kool-Aid up. When everybody's telling you how awesome you are. I'm a big fan of his, even if he called me a sissy. Well, actually, he didn't call me a sissy. He let me know that it was not the sissy challenge that he put me to. This is the spicy challenge, not the sissy challenge. Big Micah fan. I I love the way he's approaching it. I love that mentality. Nobody loves him more than James Kelly, though. Kelly's all about that dude. Anyway, I like that. He's got the Jocko mentality in the sense that, hey, good. We talked about that yesterday. It's so much better when they don't have the Kool-Aid up is a great line. So because that's the way he's approaching it, because they do have weapons, because Dak finally looked like Dak, I mean, we're talking about playmakers and game breakers on both sides of the ball for both teams. This game has the makings of an absolute classic. Big clock Brock's biggest test yet. Jarrah inching closer and closer to a return officially to the glory days. And, of course, we have whether or not Money Maher can do the near impossible and ditch a brutal case of the yips in only a few days' time. So who you got? Who you got? The Big Head and I made our picks yesterday on Jim Rome's Big Head Bets pod. It's right there, waiting for you to check out as soon as we're off the air. But... While we are all still here, let me know who you're feeling. Let me know who you've got. Let me know how hard you're going to hit that. I'm talking with Jay Woods of Omega Tax Credits about small businesses under 500 employees qualifying for a tax refund from a new program. Tell me again, Jay, how long does it take for somebody saying, yeah, I don't know, I probably don't qualify. I'm saying find out because you don't know. How long does it take for them to find out? You don't have a more important 10 minutes in your day than these 10 minutes. That's it. 800-704-2000 or go to omegataxcredits.com and find out. Jay is right for your business. There is not a more important 10 minutes. Jane Slater is my guest. Jane, it's great to have you back. How are you? Good to talk to you guys. I wanted to get on last week, but as you can imagine, short travel week, not only for myself, but for the Cowboys. Jane, I get that. So I will take you on this show whenever you can do the show, and you are a pro. So why don't we talk about Dallas? They knock out Tampa last week, Jane. So it seems like they stamped themselves as the legitimate title contender that we all expected, or, or in fact, did they? I mean, who are they really? Are they this good, or was Tampa just that bad? I still think it's hard to say, right? Uh, because a couple of the games leading up to Tampa Bay didn't give you a lot of confidence. I mean, the Washington game was particularly tough to watch. The Titans game before that, even the way they played about against the Houston Texans. What stood out to me, though, was mentally how resilient these guys were that given all of, I think they had 11-3 and outs against Washington, to go into this game against the Tampa Bay Bucks, to start the game with two, three and outs, and then to score on the next two drives. And then after that, it felt like Tampa Bay had a really hard time coming up with any answers, particularly also when you look at the play of the defense. And, you know, we had talked about it leading into the week. The big thing for Dallas, and I think for Dak, was they've had five different offensive line combinations. And when they would move, when they'd had the injury to Tyler Biotch, their center, they weren't just replacing one for one they were replacing three different guys on the offensive line and so when you move Connor Govern uh, out of his position you're also affecting your ability offensively to have the option of a fullback and so there was just a lot going on I felt like there were times he didn't really trust his protection but if you watch that game I think he had 2.94 seconds on average back there it felt like forever and that's why I think he was efficient 
particularly in this passing game, which is, you know, against the 49ers, their passing defense is a lot easier to score against than that run D. I do think they're going to still rely on the run because, as Ezekiel Elliott said it this week, the more you're running at them and against them, you're wearing them down. But I do think his success is going to be solely based in the passing game just because one of the few areas of weakness that I think the 49ers has is the injuries to their secondary and their passing D. Jane Slater is joining us. All right, Jane, so what about the offensive line? Jason Peters, obviously a key cog, did not practice yesterday. So what does that mean for his availability on Sunday? And if he cannot go, what do they do about the monster that is Nick Bosa? <laughs> I don't expect Jason Peters to play. It's not looking good. Uh, he was off to the sides yesterday, wasn't even dressed out. He was just wearing sweats. J. Ron Kirst, the safety, is expected to play. Uh, but it's not looking good for Jason Peters. Now, I would say this. Jason Peters has come in and sort of bit roles this year. Now, I don't want to reduce how important he's been to that offensive line room, period, this year. Uh, but they went with Jason Peters last week to give, obviously, some max protection to Dak and also, as I said earlier, to free up Connor McGovern to be used as a fullback. But what they'll essentially do is that means that they'll – go ahead and, and move Tyler Smith back to left tackle, which means he's going to be the guy that's going up against Nick Bosa. Now, normally that would concern you, but I think given his play against guys like Devin White and Vita Vea last week, even Dak and Zeke sort of marveled at his age. He's only 21 years old. There's been five games this year where he's moved from left guard to left tackle, and he's proven very efficient. In fact, it was Dak Prescott who called him not only a baller, but a baller. And so I think they have great confidence in Nick Bosa. And it doesn't hurt that a guy that's similarly comparable to Nick Bosa is also on this Cowboys roster and Micah Parsons. So a guy that he's been going up against, obviously, this year in practice. Jane Slater is an NFL Network reporter. Jane, speaking of Dak, he said that he thought it was, quote, comedic that anybody would suggest that Mike McCarthy was coaching for his job against Tampa Bay. To you, was that comedic? For instance, had the Cowboys gone into Tampa, hypothetical, but had they gone into Tampa and been embarrassed by a sub-500 Bucks team, how do you think Jerry Jones would have reacted? I mean, it's a great question. I, I would tell you that, you know, for those of us that cover this team and we've seen the development of Mike McCarthy as it relates to his locker room, his relationship with the media, even figuring out sort of the landmines that come with Dallas, right? Dallas, I cover other teams in the league. There is no ownership that's on the radio where it's Jerry twice a week, Stephen Jones twice a week, injury updates coming out on Wednesday. You know, a lot of these – I went up to a couple of people ahead of the game, and I had you know, broke that Jason Peters was starting uh, over there at left tackle, and I got this look like, come on. And I'm like, look, we're an hour before kick. Let me put this out. They're, they try to have a competitive edge, and I think that's hard sometimes in Dallas. I tend to believe that, that Mike was safe for this reason. They have not had a coach that's been able to give them double-digit wins, you know, these 12 wins, and back-to-back -back years since the mid-'90s. And a lot of people forget, yeah, I know a lot of teams have had injuries. I mean, look at San Francisco. They've got Jimmy Garoppolo down, and they, they get lucky with Brock Purdy. But not only did they lose Dak Prescott for a second year in a row, they – I mean, the offensive line was a disaster, the amount of injuries they had. In fact, during the week, they were doing 10 to 12 reps, just different line combos in case another one went down. You were asking Tyron Smith to play right tackle, something he had hardly ever played. I think rookie season was his first year he played right tackle in Dallas. And so you also had the challenge of losing your two starting corners. You lost Leighton Vanderesh, your green dot on deep. I mean, they just had a number of injuries. And this was a year that the NFC East went from least to beast. And so the fact that this team, the word that they used at the beginning of the season was resilient, and that came from the way they lost that 49ers game. It was ugly, Jim. I mean, the way they, the fans were throwing trash at one point, it felt like the players, then people had said it was the refs. Regardless, it was a meltdown after that game. James, I tend to think yeah. that the way that they never lost back-to-back -back games this year said a lot about Mike McCarthy, and I would also argue who's the better coach. What other coaches out there? And, and everyone brings up Sean Payton, but – Sean Payton is so used to autonomy. He's used to having a say in personnel and draft picks. And I covered Bill Parcells years here in Dallas when I first started out in my career. And obviously Sean Payton falls from the Bill Parcells tree. I just, I, I never have seen it working out. I think Dan Quinn would have been the next guy they would have gone to. And obviously that would have been a little uncomfortable given Mike and Dan's relationship. I never really thought Mike's job was unsafe, even regardless, especially, you know, the argument could be, I mean, we were going up against Tom Brady. 
eight and eight, fine, but it was Tom Brady. So I, I don't know. I, I, I felt like he was safe, and I feel like he's safe another season. Jane Slater is joining us. There's so many different ways I want to respond, Jane, but i got to pick my spots. But the point you made about Jerry Jones being on the radio a couple of times a week, Stephen Jones being on the radio a couple of times a week, that there is no other owner that would do that. Maybe, I mean, Jim Irsay, thankfully, is showing up and doing what he does. But, Jane, <laughs> what, what, what is that? Like, the, Jerry is in love with the sound of his own voice. He's in love with his brand. You're right. It is so unusual. Why does he do that and let his, his son do that? What's the point? I truly believe I've always compared Jerry Jones to Walt Disney. And when I went to ESPN, we went through a whole training seminar and part of rookie minicamp was learning about Walt Disney, right? And he was the Imagineer. And if you noticed, even in the off season, there was all this distraction that, you know, Dan Quinn might come to Dallas. And then he said that he did a wink, a winky with Dan Quinn and that they had got something worked out and he was never actually going to the Broncos. It's always sort of this look this way with Jerry. So when he's going on the radio and he's giving you these great quotes, it sort of distracts you from the stink sometimes. <laughs> so, Funny. Seriously. And, and I always tell people, it's, I, I have so many people that reach out to me like, how, you know, what's Jerry like? And I will say to people, he is the most charming man that I've ever met. And even his critics, when they get in a room with him, he has a way of charming you. But I do believe that part of the reason why this is the most valued sports franchise is because he keeps it going. I mean, I just saw that they moved the Mavs game. Uh, the Mavs are playing, uh, God, who are they playing on, on Sunday? They moved it because of the audience that the Cowboys draw. I mean, anytime I've seen a press release go out about the Rangers or the Stars, Jerry's got to one-up you. Um, so it's, it's, always, it's honestly been fascinating to cover Jerry Jones and this team. And I've often wondered what this team is going to look like when that star power that is Jerry leaves. It's really interesting. Like, Jane, for instance, like, I have profound respect for you. You are an absolute pro. You are very, very bright. And I'm not directing this at you, but when you say that he's the most charming man you've ever met, like, is he charming us or is he BSing us or both? I will say this about Jerry. He is one of the most optimistic humans I've ever met in my life. He truly believes every year. I mean, this year when they, it felt like they had a patchwork offense, they didn't truly have a wide receiver to start the season. You had all these questions about Dak after the postseason game. This guy still is selling you sunshine and rainbows. I mean, this guy could literally sell ice cream to an Eskimo. I mean that. And I can only, it's one thing to see it on TV. It's another to, this guy will talk for hours to you. I mean, after the Tampa game, there had probably been a media scrum going on for about 15 minutes, and it was fairly claustrophobic, this room that you walk in to do the interview. And then about four of us are running late to get in there, and he's still talking to us. But he truly sells you on hope and optimism. I'll never forget I was at Combine. I don't want to you know, say the names of the coaches, but I had about four coaches grab me and say, we want to meet Jerry Jones. I said, okay. So I take him over to Jerry. And I watched him charm these coaches just talking about his love of football in Arkansas. And I would argue there aren't many owners that truly know their personnel as well as Jerry does. Mm -hmm. You know, I, he, he takes a lot of pride in the GM title, and I know it's been a knock on him over the years, but he knows the personnel that he has. And so it's just fascinating to me, particularly like, look, I don't want to age shame anyone. I find my memory failing me. I can't remember the game I was at last week or what I ate. It's always fascinating to me how well he knows this team, references players. I mean, he truly loves the game, and he's truly not in it to make money. Like, he wants to win, and he always goes back to his days at Arkansas and playing football, and I feel like he's constantly trying to recreate that, and I think that that is why We've seen his relationship with players, and so many players stay in Dallas. So many players stay in, in contact with Jerry. So many players have made a, a lot of money and had a lot of success after becoming Dallas Cowboys because of their relationships with Jerry Jones. They're real. They're authentic. And I know he's taken a lot of hits as it relates to his character and his own off-the-field issues in the last couple of years. But having covered him as long as I have, he is one of the more fascinating people that I've been around. And I worked in news for a long time. I've interviewed plenty of people. He's one of one. 
Shane Slater is an NFL Network reporter. Remember, NFL Game Day morning airs Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern on NFL Network. She's got her podcast, too. Jane, great job. That was so worth the wait. Always good to have you on the show, and I appreciate you so much, Jane. Thank you very much for doing it. You know, you're one of my favorites. Thanks so much for having me on. You too, Jane. So, quick question. Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business. A family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody. The entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? We are joined by Stan Johnson. Stan, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me, Jim. Stan, it's great to have you. i got to ask you, that's an unbelievable night for the team and for the program as you shocked number 6 Gonzaga on their home floor. You snapped the nation's longest winning streak in the process. My question then, Stan, has it sunk in yet, or have you already moved beyond it, and have you turned the page? You know, Jim, coaching is a sick profession. Um, you know, you get a win like that, and you're thinking about the next thing. And for me, it, it, it hasn't sunk in. I, I, it probably won't until we get to the end of the season when you can enjoy it. But uh, we've been in the building stages of this program, and, and, and last night uh, was a culmination of all the things that we've been trying to do over two years. So uh, I'm obviously elated for our players, our program, our university. But, you know, like I told, told our guys last night, uh, this most certainly can't be the highlight of what we're trying to get accomplished this year. Stan Johnson joining us. I, I love that message. I love also what you just said, Stan, when you started by saying coaching is a sick profession. I kind of know where you're going with that, but let me hear it from you. What do you mean by that, that coaching is a sick profession? Well, you know, you don't have time, like you said, to, to, to enjoy the moment because there's always the next thing. And in our business, we're always judged by the next game. And, you know, I, maybe other guys are better than, than me at, at, at handling those moments and, and enjoying it. But, you know, I know once that buzzer went off, the first thing I was thinking about is, okay, how does our program handle success now? Because, you know, your greatest threat to your, to your success is usually, usually success, not failure. You know, so that, that's what makes the profession, you know, tough because you're trying to always keep it, maintain it, and, and make it better, and, and, and that's kind of the state of mind I'm in. I think that's a great explanation. Stan Johnson joining us. We're talking LMU basketball after that win. I thought your team played with tremendous poise, especially down the stretch when the Zags made their run because you knew they would. Let me ask you, what was your message, Stan, to the team in the days leading up to the game about Gonzaga and about the opportunity your guys had? Well, it's, it's a great word you just used, use poise. You know, Monday when we got together, that was the first thing I talked about. You know, I, I talked to our guys about here's a chance for us to grow up, to take the next step in our evolution. And to, to go and win a game like that, or any good team for that matter, you have to be poised. I showed our team Gonzaga's game against Santa Clara, uh, where Santa Clara had a big lead. Gonzaga came back. I showed them the last four minutes of Gonzaga at BYU. And Gonzaga and San Francisco, what can we learn from this? And I told our guys, they're going to make a run. Uh, you're not. They're not going. To, they're not going to beat themselves. You're going to have to beat them. And I thought in those moments, you know, we had chances. We're up six, seven, eight late, and they made their run. And I thought our guys did not flinch. And uh, you know, we stayed together, and then we trusted each other down the stretch to make enough plays. And that that's what you have to do 
if you're going to go into an environment like that and win, I thought our guys, you know, were, were really mature and their poise was off the charts. 100%. Stan Johnson joining us, the head coach at Loyola Marymount. Stan, I thought your team really did dig in, and they could have unraveled, and they did not. They didn't blink. They didn't flinch. They got it done. I thought you guys did a great job on Drew Timmy overall. What was your approach to him coming in? Well, he's a tough cover. I mean, there's a reason he's a first-team All-American, could be the player of the year in, in, in the country. Uh, you know, Timmy's tough because – uh, he's a great passer. He's got great footwork. He's got everything down there. You know, he can really score. What we wanted to do was push his catches out, put length on him, uh, make him have to counter, uh, not just go to one straight line moves, but make him have to counter, make him have to think, um, and, and just kind of wear him down. You know, and that's what we did. We, we try to keep our bigs fresh and throw different bodies at him, um, you know, just to keep him off balance and, and, and try to take up his space and, and again, you know, you, you think you do a great job. He still had, I think, 17-7. and seven. That's how good he is. Uh, but I thought we were able to slow him down just enough to win. Stan, what about your guard, Cam Shelton? He approved or hit what proved to be the game-winning shot. He had 27 on the night. What do you make of his effort last night? And then what has he meant to the program since transferring in from northern Arizona? Jim, he's been outstanding. You know, last year, you know, I, I you know we were predicted to have a really good year my second year. And, you know, things didn't go according to plan. And, and Cam did not have the year, you know, he wanted to, that we wanted him to. But to his credit, Jim, I've not seen a kid this late in his career uh, be willing to step back and change some things within his game uh, in order to have this kind of year. His summer, the routine he had, what he put into the game from a mental standpoint, reading the game, changing his shot, uh, what we're seeing is a microcosm of that. I mean, uh, he's been doing this all year, and he did it on a big stage last year, last night. I mean, Cam Sheldon, you know, a lot of people don't know the name, but he has been as good as any guard in the country this year. And I hope as we come down the stretch here, um, he'll continue to get more notice with that. Stan, let me ask you about the program. I'm old enough that when I got my break and I started in the media, well, I went to college at UC Santa Barbara, and then I started in yeah. Santa Barbara. So LMU would come into – our place, and I can remember those years, and they were amazing matchups. The win last night was LMU's first win at Gonzaga in 32 years. The 1991 team, of course, was the team that came after one of the unforgettable events, the tragic passing of Hank Gathers in 1990, and then the team went on that magical run to the Elite Eight. I know you're focused on what's in front of you, but do you try to make the team aware of the great heritage of LMU basketball as well? Yeah. You know, that's since I got here, you know, we, we took over in the height of COVID. I got the job 2020, you know, and, you know, that was a tough time for everybody, you know, but it's especially tough when you're trying to, to rebuild, restore uh, a program. And we've talked a lot about that team and the, the guys on that team, uh, the coaches on that team, and then all the coaches and players that have come after. And one of the things I've said, you know, in taking this job is we want to make Hank and Bo proud. And I thought last night uh, was a tremendous step uh, in that direction and, and showing people that um, things are different, things are changing. And we're on our path to hopefully someday get right back to, to where LMU once was. Stan Johnson joining us really quickly, a follow to that. You inherited a team coming off an 11-win season, and it had only posted one winning year in the prior eight years. Like you said, there were challenges and then COVID. So what were the first steps you took to try to transform the culture of the program? How do you go about building that thing up? Well, it all starts with people. You know, we wanted to get the right people on the ship. Uh, that takes time. It's really hard to do that when you can't recruit uh, with COVID. Uh, but we wanted to create a selfless, connected, relentless culture. And that was how we approached everything, you know, from the way we eat, the way we sleep, the way we train, how we approach our academic standards. I mean, our team just set a, a historic mark of 3.3 GPA this, this past semester. You know, changing a program for me is everything. And the winning comes after that. And that's what we've been doing the last, you know, last few years. I mean, my first year here, I think they picked us ninth and we finished uh, third in the league, which was the highest finish in a long time. But these guys have been buying into that. And I'm, I'm a big believer in culture. Once you, once you set it, and that starts with the right people, things like last night have a chance to happen. You know, So 
uh, I believe we're on the right track. I get that. I get that. That's that's holistic. That's not changing a habit or two. That's a lifestyle thing. That's a completely holistic approach. Stan, one last thought. I know it's not about you, but and not to go too deep. I think this is really interesting, though. Your path to LMU, I think, is really inspiring in the sense that you emigrated from Liberia to the U.S. with your family when you were just 10 as that African nation was in the midst of a civil war. What do you remember about that, and how challenging were those circumstances as your family prepared to leave? I remember everything. You know, I was 10 years old, and when you bring that up, it brings flashbacks. I mean, to me, it was like last year. I, I mean, I remember getting on a, a military plane, a uh, cargo plane. They had to land it on a mining ship to evacuate my family and a lot of other families because we were American citizens. I remember my parents losing everything and coming to America with three bags. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, in this business, you know, I, I don't I don't come from a tree. I came from nothing. Um, you know, every, every inch I had a claw for. And I've had a lot of people who have helped me get to this point. And, um, you know, again, a game like last night, um, you know, is huge for me personally, for all the people who've helped me come here, uh, who've helped me get to this point. And again, a great reflection from how far I've come and my family uh, from those days in Liberia. So one last quick follow. You grew up playing soccer in Liberia. How much did you know about basketball when your family first arrived in Utah? So you'll love this. You know, we moved to Utah, and, and Utah uh, over the years now has, 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 has really changed. You know, you've, you've got a lot more diversity than, than before, but I think there was only me and maybe my brother and my, one other African-American kid in the school. So I go to recess, and they pick me first. You know, black guy, he's got to be able to play. And I, I literally was kicking the ball around. I was the last pick the entire year of that recess. And finally I said, you know what, I'm going to commit to this game because – you know, if I'm going to have any friends, I, I got to learn how to play basketball. And it's amazing the power in the ball and, and what it can do for you. And that, that little round ball has completely changed my life. What a great story, Stan. You're right. I do love that story. I'm so glad I asked you. Huge, huge win for LMU. The work is not done, but that's a moment. That's a moment. And I would imagine, all right, so I lied. One last thought, Stan. I would imagine, even though you're the coach and you've already moved on, the guys, and you know this because you're older, the guys who were a part of that win, that will stay with them forever. I know they have unfinished business, but that's a lifetime moment. What was the vibe like in the locker room after that game for the players? That was awesome. You know, again, I think those guys – uh, you know, again, when you talk about culture, hey, guys, we do this, we do this, the winning will come, the big wins will come. For them to finally, and we've had some good wins this year, Wake Forest, BYU, you know, we've had some good wins. But I think for them that solidified the things that we've been doing. And it was joyous, you know. But, again, I want those things are going to keep them together, their relationships, those friendships. Winning does that for you. Uh, but, like, today, in an hour, we're going to meet. We have a culture meeting. Uh, once a week, and, and now it's going to be time to regroup and, and put that away and, and try to shift the focus into next week as we get ready for a big home stand. I've never heard that before, Stan, honestly. I understand building a culture. I've never had a conversation with a coach that didn't mention culture, but I've never heard that guys have culture meetings. What takes place in a culture meeting? Everything. So, you know, we, we the first thing we do when we go in there, we'll talk about, you know, the guys that are doing great academically to create positive peer pressure you know we'll talk about what's happening in the world uh they could be something in the middle east or whatever and then we'll we'll talk about you know mental performance you know so for me today it's going to be hey where are we going to go with this are we going to succeed and get stuck or are we going to be on this track of failure and succeeding we've got to be able to succeed and move on and, and that's going to be the vocal point of our, our, our meeting today to try to get our guys reprogrammed, recharged, and refocused as we move forward. Love that. I knew we'd talk about more than just a big, big win last night. He is the head coach at Loyola Marymount, but that was a huge win. They snapped Gonzaga's nation-leading winning streak at home, 70-plus games. Stan, really great to have you on the show. Didn't mean to keep you that long, but the conversation was awesome, so I really appreciate you, and congrats. Thanks for having me, Jim. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection? The latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help routinely remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash 
online privacy protection. Let's go to Hollywood. Mark in Hollywood. What's up, dude? Bro, you were at Beverly Hills. You didn't holler at your boy? I know, right? I knew you were busy. Come on, man. We could have went to get our faces carved together, Botox shots together. Yo, next time you come up, yo, holler at your boy. I got, Booger I got sugar? You. Do you have access to booger sugar? No, man. That was... Uh, dude, I'm not into it either. Me. I quit right. that. <laughs> yo, dude, Philly fan is cocked, locked, and loaded, ready to punch the New Jersey of a Giants right in their fat faces. But, yo, I got a question. Why are they called the New York Giants when they play in New Jersey, right? I mean, you can't claim to be part of something supposedly cooler because you're just next to it. That's like if I. Ray set up his tent on the outskirts of Beverly Hills and then glossed himself Mr. 90210. And, Jim, why would the Giants even want to claim that rat-infested, glorified garbage scow that produced pizza that tastes like cardboard, corrupt financial institutions with Adderall-addicted stockbrokers, Rudy Giuliani, and a subway system where if you're lucky enough not to be pushed on the tracks and you make it inside that smelly metal coffin, you'll either be accosted by New York subway kooks or contract herpes from the seats. The Sopranos are overrated. But, Jim... What is with your fellow gas bags in the media capping about this game, right? Since the third time the Giants play the Eagles, they're playing them three times, the Giants must have an edge. Please, check this stat. And even James Kelly missed this on Big Head Bets. Ding. Since the 1970 merger, in the 17 instances where the postseason home team swept their playoff opponent during the regular season, the team went 12-5. and five. That means that the team in the Eagles' position wins 70% of the time in this situation. Take that for data, suckas. And now you have Giants Nation pleading, practically begging Philly fan to take it easy on them when they come to the link. You have that perpetual drunk face, Eli Manning, talking about how kids are going to be giving him the double bird. Other Giants players are asking us to be nice to their families. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. For that, I have two suggestions. One, if you don't want that Philly smoke, keep your fat asses in that dirty city that sucks more than Antonio Brown's Snapchat. And two, take a page from Jocko's book. And if crappy things happen to you in Philly, just say, good. If a five-year-old double birds your grandmother, good. If someone in the stand shoves a horse crap sando in your big mouth, good. If Lawrence Taylor shows up with a bag of toot and gets totally trashed, good. I guess what I'm trying to say, Giant fan, is that there's a reason why you share a stadium with that MILF hunter, Zach Wilson. You have no identity. NYC is known for one thing and one thing only. John in New York, a dude that used to ride the horse at Studio 54 in the 70s, and as a consequence, he now sounds like a cross between DUI Tony LaRussa and Mary Sue Coleman. No one likes us. No one likes us. No one likes us. We don't care. We're from Philly. Effin' Philly. No one likes us. We don't care. E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles. My dude, Mark in Hollywood, bravo. Welcome to the jungle. A tremendous Monday to you. What's going on? What a wild, wild, wild card weekend that was. Let's get it. Nice to have you here. Anybody who told you that they knew what to expect heading into wild card weekend is a liar. The only appropriate response to anybody trying to tell you that they knew what was going to go down this weekend. We'll just see how the game goes, okay? Easy, John. John Harbaugh did not treat Melissa Stark very nicely. Regards Joe Williams. You're in a tough season. I want to kiss you. You want to talk about shooting your shot? The field goal is good. It could. Like I said, I'm never looking to get anybody fired ever. You blow a 27 point lead in the playoffs, somebody's getting fired. And if it doesn't cost the head coach's gig, somebody on the staff is going to be the fall guy. What about the Chargers, Ross? like that bothers me. Come out and say, listen, I don't want the guys to get rusty. You know, I really wanted to win the game. Don't come up with a nonsensical reason that we can all debunk immediately. Danica. I no longer have to look for the tenderonies. The tenderonies come looking for me. It's the playoffs. We found a way. That's all that matters. In Buffalo, the R-I-B. And I couldn't tell if that tool on the Dolphins sideline yesterday was Mike McDaniel or Adam Hawk. They're both clueless about football. Oh, a dick.
addicted to weed and make really stupid decisions in the eye of the public. Fred Taylor. From damn, 1998. That seems like yesterday, but it also seems like sometime back when the dinosaurs were around. Oh, man, I, I, I like forever ago. The first time I came on your show, I was at this way, way long ago, man, and I really appreciate those opportunities. Dennis. Talk to Fred Taylor. Rich in Buffalo and the Queen. Now you're going to talk to the king of New York Giant football. Hey! Dennis from Massachusetts. What's going on, man? Be wary. We're on our way to start him soon, and we'll beat them. My man, Dennis in Massachusetts. Where the hell you been hiding? Twitter. Hey, Alvin DeLauro, wake up. Wake up. He glossed himself the king of New York football. He glossed me. Run him. I just want to say thank you guys for everything this year. I really appreciate all your effort. About them, Cowboys. Pretty incredible what this Cowboy team can do when Dak is not throwing it straight to the other guys over and over again. Are they that good or are the Bucks that bad? And as always, the answer is... Of course. Why are we kicking on? it? Why are we kicking it? Talk about a buzzkill. But how could you be so wrong about something like that? What do you mean, buzzkill? That's the only reason any of us were still watching that game. To see how many he'd miss. Got to be kidding me. Lord Jim Rome, using the classic Matt and L.A. tagline in his Wendy's commercials. With a peppermint frosty. You're welcome. There's You're so much welcome. Oh my God, I got that. If you blow a 27-point lead in the playoffs, you've got nobody to blame but yourself. My man, 40 grand might be cheap for that rant. I'm sick of those people. For the 25-plus years I've listened to this show, you have never said anything positive about Michigan. What? 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 You're just wrong, Jesse. Let me tell you about a couple other Michigan men. The Sklars. With guest hosts Randy and Jason Sklar. Stop making bullcrap up. Steve Tasker. But I'll say this, Romy. His coming back and bouncing back the way he did was really the only reason the Bills could actually even go out and suit up against the New England Patriots in Week 18 and play it all against the Miami Dolphins in the wild card round. It was a very difficult week here. We go to Wichita. Drizzle. Romy Rome, what's happening? partner. Look, Johnny, bro, <laughs> don't ever come for me again. I will put you to work on the street for a nickel and a pack of smokes and watch you get passed around like Megan Hall. I'm looking out for that missing iPad. Hey, Rick, I said missing iPad, not your missing eyebrows, you old bag of dirt. Check this. A robot just greeted me in my orthodontic appointment and took me to my chair to be worked on. Did that robot work on your teeth? I wish the robots would just call the show. Come quietly. Holy or there crap, will be that's wild. Trouble. What's your beef? Hi, Jim. Uh, I got a beef with Alvy for accusing me of lying. My beef is with my neighbor who still has his Christmas lights up. My beef is with the NBA's programming schedule. Hey, Adam Skeletor. The Bills are so Josh, Josh Allen dependent. <sighs> One more time, Allen. Josh Allen. <laughs> Holy no wonder you, Melvin Josh hates you. Allen. Thank you, Allen. Bro, you were at Beverly Hills. You didn't holler at your boy? I knew you were busy. Come on, man. We could have went to get our faces carved together, Botox shots. <laughs> a dude that used to ride the horse at Studio 54 in the 70s. People were having sex in booths and just blasting rails. Philadelphia Eagles. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I am not the violent person. Cut a guy right at there. halftime of a playoff game. Well, what's in this bag? They're Deposit. Jim, how play is that, man? De'Aaron Fox and Domas Saboner. You let Saboner go? Whatever, power trip. Tuck your finger in the wrong hole. Man, I can't call it. I can't call it, man. You know, you're one of my favorites. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for the vine, Jim. Who loves you, baby? E-A-G-L-E-S, Evo. Good night now. Good night now.